Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Two Tacos High, a handbell podcast. I'm Nick Hansen. And I'm Brian Seaman. And as always, we are here to talk handbells in every way, shape, and form. It is that time of year where teachers and students are heading back to school. So we wanted to do a special episode with fellow educators Rob Riker and Greg Ashurst. Rob Riker is the director of the Choral and Handbell programs at the Moravian Academy in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And Greg Ashurst is the director of instrumental music and director of technology at the Cathedral Carmel School in Lafayette, Louisiana. Welcome, Rob and Greg. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. All right. So to get things started, I think we want to jump in just kind of very generally. If you could give a very brief background of your duties, responsibilities, whether or not those are music and otherwise, that would be great. Who wants to start us off? Well, uh, my name is Rob Breaker. I've been at Moravian Academy for 31 years. This is my 32nd year. And I was lucky enough to be at a program in a school that had handbells at the middle school. And there's a story there. If we have time, I can tell it. But they were at one time at the upper school, and now they're at the middle school. When I came to school, I said, hey, what about handbells at the upper school? And the parents association groups uh, sort of swooped in and got us a three-octave set of Malmark with the tables and pads. And uh, and I was thrilled. And so I've been building that program ever since my third or fourth year of teaching. And in addition to that, I do vocal music uh, with a large choir, a chamber choir, an acapella group. Uh, I have two bell choirs, and then I teach music theory and composition. And I'm the technical director of the auditorium as well. And I'm also the department chair of fine and performing arts. So we're a little busy over here. It's the independent school way. They will squeeze every inch they can out of their employees. Ryan and I know that well. <laughs> yeah, I think we all know that well. Um, yeah, hi, I'm Greg Ashurst. I'm the band director, instrumental music director at Cathedral Carmel School. I teach fourth grade through eighth grade. We have a graded uh, band program, which is fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade handbell classes. And we have a graded handbell program. We offer seventh and eighth grade handbell classes. You can have a semester class or a year-long class. And we also do a lot of handbells in our fourth grade program as well. We mix it with handbells, recorders, bucket drumming, and a lot of other activities, singing, things like that. I have a, a handbell group outside of our handbell classes that are, that are made up of solely just my band students. And so they go to band during the class period, but before school, we meet as a handbell ensemble as well. I am also the technology director, so if the students need a computer or need some software or need a password changed, I'm one of the two people that they find to get that done. We help maintain everything technology-wise at our school. So at the time of recording, I know, Greg, your classes have already started, and I think the rest of us are in either prep or the pre-school year meeting phase. That's correct. We, we're two weeks in now. We're, start, we're in the middle of our second full week. Even earlier than here, my own kids went back this week, so off to a good start. Yeah, we're having a great year so far. I have uh, wonderful classes and a lot of just really nice kids that are really eager to learn this year. Was handbells, is that an elective course or are they required in, in seventh, eighth grade? It actually, it's an elective course that they choose. Uh, we, have, uh, we have another handbell teacher at our school and she has a four octave set of Malmark in her classroom. And then I have a five octave set of Schulmerich in my classroom with some silver melody bells, and we both have hand chimes. And so uh, her classes are elective classes. Mine are part of the instrumental program we do. And then, Rob, you start up next week? 
I do. We start on, well, we have a chance to speak with our advisees either in person or over Zoom on Monday just to kind of give them a good boost to get started. Uh, and then we start with classes and, and meetings and all the sort of fun beginning, uh, I call them sort of games in a way, uh, with all the students coming on Tuesday through Friday. Uh, we have a busy time at the beginning because we have it's sort of a nexus of students coming to us either from our own middle school or from the Swain School, which we just recently merged with. They are, they are K through eight. So they have a K through eight program with no handbells. Our middle school has a grade six, seven, and eight program directed by Mr. Nate Deal. And then there's a fifth grade hand chime program at our lower elementary school. Uh, and so we all kind of put our heads together and figure out kind of who, who do we have and how are we going to start the year uh, in sort of similar but sort of different ways. We also get new kids to the school joining us in ninth grade. And so uh, there's a lot of cross-pollination and we kind of have to figure out who knows what about music. And so that's kind of how we begin. So I was curious, and this kind of connects a little bit to, to the students who are starting handbells at your schools. When did you each begin handbell ringing? What was your first experience? Uh, it's actually the anniversary was just last week. My church in New Jersey has a, um, a really wonderful program that's now over 50 years old. It's called the Summer Choir School. And it was, it's, I grew up in a very rich, music-rich environment uh, in a Presbyterian church in northern New Jersey. And they ran this program really uh, for the entire community. It wasn't just for the church. And so some of the offerings were like you could go for 45 minutes and play softball, or you could go, you know, I took some music theory, some of my early music theory was there, but uh, they had a handbell thing. And Richard Fry, I don't know if you know Dick Fry, he's a, he's a composer and, and conductor of handbells. He, uh, he was the director. And my mom said, oh, you'll love Dick. You got to go and do this. And I was just getting my taste and my, myself uh, into the vocal music end of things. And so trying out handbells was kind of like the natural next step in uh, the summer before my seventh grade year. And so I won't tell you the anniversary because that would give away some numbers, but, but it's, uh, it was pretty exciting to look back and say, wow, it's been that long since I've been involved in handball. So since I was in, it was in sixth to seventh grade when I started and I really have never stopped. All right. How about you, Greg? Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting. I, Michael Keller was the director of music at Asbury United Methodist Church, which is where I also do handbells here in Lafayette. And he showed up, I, I was, I think we were freshmen in high school and he showed up at youth group one day and just started telling, you know, about 18 or 20 people, all right, you people go to the choir room Monday afternoon at 5 PM and we're going to be doing handbells. And so sure enough, about 18 of us showed up and he started this handbell ensemble when we were freshmen in high school hmm. and we've been playing ever since. And in fact, when, when he, he left the church and moved uh, to North Carolina at the time, I ended up taking over the handbell choirs. But before that, they hired me to do their fourth through sixth grade handbell group. I think I was a junior in high school, and they, that was my, one of my first actual paid handbell conducting gigs. It was, it was a lot of fun. So I've been playing ever since. Nice. Thank you for that. Going into the start of the school year, what are some things that you are doing right now in terms of repertoire planning? And what do your sort of performance schedule look like throughout the school year? Well, as far as uh, my program, we've started playing right away. We, we did all the handbook stuff and going through the rules but the very on the first class but the very second class we started playing and we're looking to do uh, with regard to handbells we're going to host a techniques workshop on September 16th here in Lafayette at my school and we do our usual things we always perform uh, end of October beginning of November concert and we perform for grandparents day which is the Friday before Thanksgiving which is the biggest 
event of our school and it's it's a lot of fun and it seems like we get everybody involved every group we can involved in showing off what our school is to the grandparents of our community and we'll do christmas and things like that we are looking to i'm hoping to take a trip uh i haven't revealed it to all my students yet but to many of them we're hoping to take a trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and do a few performances. And I'm hoping to do not only our band program, but our handbell program there as well and perform for them and do Dollywood and things like that. So that's kind of the well, that's cool. main thing of what we're doing. Well, at Moravian, we have, well, because they have the two groups, there are kind of some different approaches. And I should mention that I'm also directing the Rook Ringers uh, handbells at, at Bucknell University. And that's a whole nother story as far as beginning them, because that's a whole recruitment process, which I can talk about if we get to that. But at Moravian, there'll be some sort of intervention, I'll call it, at the beginning to kind of you do as many technique things as you can so the kids can start making music as quickly as possible. And so we look for music like Michael Joy's Etudes that I just got a hold of, uh, ways to, to try to have some instant successes and to ensure some good feeling in the room uh, while we think about repertoire, especially with the beginning group. They really need to think about technique and they are their syllabus indicates a greater responsibility for a musical literacy that I don't worry as much about with the advanced group because almost, if not all of them have come through this uh, element, I won't call them elementary, but the younger group feeds the older group. Uh, and we have on our docket for all of the groups that we, we perform at our annual Christmas Vespers service, which is a traditional Moravian service, mostly music, but with lessons and carols. Uh, and they both have responsibilities in that service. The advanced group uh, in that service also plays a couple of handbell accompaniments. Actually, they both, I've written accompaniments for some of the carols so they can play along with the organist. Uh, it gives them a chance to be involved in some service music and have more to do because we technically put them only in the prelude. And so they end up sitting for the whole service if we don't give them some carols along the way. So it's become much more interactive in that regard. The advanced group will play with the combined choirs on the last piece. Typically, I end up having to do an arrangement so that we have um, something for the bells to play. We've played on many different, you know, anything from Carolyn Jennings' arrangement of Climb to the Top of the Highest Mountain. I've, we've done some arranging for that or um, all the way on up to something from Honecker's King David where I took the harp parts and turned them into bell parts. And so it's a lot of that sort of collaborative what can we do with others with handbells kind of thinking. The advanced group also plays, they'll play an early chapel service probably the first week of October. So we'll set an early target for a live performance in front of that very supportive audience of the school community. They also have to shift gears because we, a few years back, well, now it's going on 10 years, we created, as a response to Boomwhackers, we kind of maxed out on what Boomwhackers could do for us. We started building uh, PVC tube instruments, uh, and we've all we've got an instrument that plays all the way down to E2. Nice. But we, I got to add down to the D and the C, I think, and that gets a lot of yardage. We use it in a variety show in November called Coffee House. It's like a, it's almost like a televised variety show where students are running the tech of it. There are screens, side screens on either side of the stage, cameras in play, and what the audience in the space plays the role of being our live studio audience and we stream the show out to us um, 
families as well. And, you know, we usually kind of give the link out so grandparents can watch from far away. That was kind of a byproduct of COVID, just making sure that we had someone uh, to whom we could perform. But that variety show involves this group of students who are essentially the Moravian Academy ringers, but they are disguised. They're wearing more suits and costumes and crazy colorful hats. And that entire performance is done in black light. It's usually a pop tune using a mixture of tube instruments. And when we really wanted to have a more melodic content, we started rolling in for the upper, the middle and upper stuff is played on chimes and bells. And so when we get to like a guitar solo in uh, Living on a Prayer, we whip out the bells to play the like the really ripping guitar solo. And then we kick back for melody to chimes. And it's sort of taken on its own little, its own little thing. And so part of what you gravitate toward when you are going from the Handel Ensemble to M.A. Ringer's, is a chance to be in this sort of broader audience with this kooky bunch of people that don't really mind the whole more suits and black light. And it's just kooky, but it they don't get much of a chance otherwise to be in a context. You know, it's easier to set up a, a band. Well, not, maybe not easier, but you can time it out a little bit easier. Handbells, if you had to set them up on tables all the way down to the base, no one would want to have to sit through the setup. And so we created a whole rolling system of tables that gets us on and off the stage. Um, so it's kind of a hoot. That's the fall semester, really. They have those target events. The only problem with it is that the coffeehouse performance is the Friday and Saturday before Thanksgiving. And then we really just have two weeks to polish all of the music for Christmas Vespers and we have to hustle. So it puts a little pressure on uh, the programming. And I've, I link everything to um, like one linchpin piece. Like I found some stuff this year at the national seminar that I thought this would be a brilliant piece. Let this be the guide. And then let's build around it. So I don't know what all we're going to be doing, but I'm for sure doing uh, Mitchell Ethan's The Child is Born. But anyway, like it's too soon. I don't know them enough yet to know what I can expect of them. But uh, we're at that point now where I at least have one target piece that can guide me on everything else that might fit together. Yeah, you mentioned the collaboration. That's one thing that I'm looking forward to at my school this year. We've changed our concert structures. It used to be there was like an all-school handbells concert, then there was an all-school choral concert, then there was an all-school band concert, and everything was kind of on its own island. And this year we're going <laughs> to restructure our concerts by division. So all of the upper school will have their concert together. All of the middle school will have uh, their concert together. And I'm looking forward to, to what we can do with handbells and include the choir or the band or the orchestra and try to find music that will fit that because that'll be a lot of fun to have them play with their peers and other ensembles. It's it's cool to do that. Yes, we had a terrific time making. We switched. We used to have the band and the chorus and the orchestra all on one concert. But when the bells got more and more involved, the band director actually said, why don't we do something where I do band cross division? I'll have band from fourth to twelfth. And they'll get to watch as the concert rounds up from grade four to grade 12. And they had crossovers. So grades four did one song with five, five did one song with six, et cetera, all the way on up to middle school playing with the upper school. So they wanted to be independent. And so now I've taken charge of my own concert, which is handbells and choirs. And it's all upper school. And it's extremely satisfying to work in the context of that sort of age bracket to have them all in the genre. Many of my kids are crossover ringers and singers, and they're kind of all there on one night. Uh, we still have the problem of kids who play in band and have to go to another concert. Uh, but I think that for the kids, they don't seem to mind. It's the parents who have to come out right. for multiple events. Yeah, yep. The kids are all in all like, yeah, let's do it. We'll do it all. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At our uh, program, the, as far as programming, we always, we have to start the year off. It, it seems like we're 
quite often asked, oh, can the band or can the handbell choir or the, can choir sing for this groundbreaking or this little ceremony? <laughs> Our school, we have lots of ceremonies. So the very first thing we do is we learn quite a few pieces like uh, processional and joyful praise, Maggie Tucker's piece, which has a great little mm -hmm. processional you add on. We always learn a couple of Mike Keller's five easy celebrations. The five celebrations, uh, yes. Yeah, and uh, Arnold Sherman's festive fanfare, things like that. We have like five mm -hmm. or six pieces that we be we learn right away at the beginning of the year. And then we have those in our repertoire for when they say, oh, yeah, can the handbells play tomorrow? Yes, of course. And so uh, we enjoy that a lot. I think that's a wonderful thing because it, it makes them part of the fabric of the school. It's more than just doing it for, you know, for parents, you're part of the, the fabric. We exist because of the benevolence of our institutions. I mean, there's just no way around it. So any chance we can play for our stakeholders, we, we jump at the opportunity. We had uh, last year, we, that's a funny word to use, but we installed our new head of school. And um, she asked, you know, what would we want to do for processional? And our band guy was like, ah, I don't know if we're going to have something ready for April or but I'm not sure what, what transpired. But I was like, you know, we just did uh, the arrangement of Highland Cathedral in the fall for chapel and it would make a heck of a good processional. And I brought in, I took the oboe part and made it a soprano saxophone part. And I had a nice, really terrific kid play the snare part. And we just kind of amped it. We were having a sound company because we were doing it in a large, it's a sort of a all, a catch-all athletic center uh, so it was a giant space so we could seat more than a thousand people so we had a sound company come in who knows how to do sound for handbells and all of a sudden we were just busting out it was huge and exciting and the the grandeur of it was so fun it was so so cool to be a part of something other than just performing on behalf of ourselves we were part of something and that's a lot of it. Like you both mentioned within all those wonderful descriptions of your programs and what you do, just like a couple of like the connections, right? Because it's yeah, playing for the stakeholders and just kind of showing, showing the community and the institution that you're a part of it and how you can kind of give back is such a wonderful connection, as well as the fact, and, and to be perfectly honest, like many times our arts program, regardless of what it is, tends to be a, a, a marketing arm sometimes mm, uh, yeah. for who we're with. And like a, a, just a funny aside, I had done Andrew Duncan's Shake It Off arrangement um, <laughs> this past actually it was June, just a couple months ago with, with our seventh and eighth graders. And one of our communications folks, it was our last assembly of the year. She was in there and she took a video of the performance and kind of the crowd. Cause the way the Andrews arrangement works as it should is there's the breakdown part where it's my best friend, you know, that section, like the, mm -hmm. the students are supposed yeah. to do that. Like it's, it's encouraged that the students do it. And before we performed it, I said to the entire audience, like you're, you're all expected to do this. Like every student, every mm -hmm. parent, every teacher. And sure enough, you had the entire student body and faculty staff just breaking down taylor swift and that video i just got an email today i think they put that little snippet on instagram and it popped up on handbook people and and we handbook people we literal handbook people we know if something goes viral it comes around at least twice so it, it's popped up in mm -hmm. handbook people a couple times and like it's already like half a million views that's just gone around this is kind of <laughs> fascinating uh, from their perspective so it's just kind of kind of great so shout out to andrew duncan for that for that arrangement um, That's great. But I wanted to jump in on a quick question. Brian had asked about some music examples you all use, and thank you for sharing those. Along those lines, we are a performing arts instrument. So, of course, a performing arts um, vehicle. So we have to have those moments to share with, with the audience and give back. But, of course, we have to have curriculum underneath all of that to teach the kids and everything. So I'm just kind of curious, um, how do both of you like approach your, your Hamill ensembles from a curriculum standpoint? What are you teaching right away? What are your goals? 
Um, is there anything out there that's kind of standard or do you kind of borrow from other ways? And the kind of kind of a breakdown of, of what you do. I'll start with what I've started with this last two weeks. So uh, my fourth graders, we, we jump right in and we start with handbells. And with the fourth grade, we, we use my curriculum, which is just it works for what I do. And I call it handbell karate. And we just start with the <laughs> basics of rhythm and they're reading just, you know, right and left single line music. And they're just building that establishing the pulse and establishing rhythm. And they earn little karate belts for every song we play as a, as, as a group, but they also have one, one little test portion that they play alone. And so we work our way through that curriculum that I wrote probably in the first seven weeks of school. And we get through that and then we move on and expand on those skills that we've learned, those techniques in the repertoire that does exist. And I try to incorporate everything we do with handbells into our percussion ensemble because it's just one more instrument of our percussion ensemble. And we do as much as we can with choral ensembles as well. And so I just, I continue with my percussion ensemble curriculum in a parallel with my handbell curriculum. And so all of those, I just follow, in fact, Columbus schools has a Columbus, Ohio schools has a nice little scope and sequence that uh, gave me my, my start when I created my own. And uh, it just keeps you organized. There are some great method books out there, but none of them have fit my particular needs, but I do take from all of them as much as possible. I do lean on the, some of those, like for instance, and again, I'm dealing with ninth graders as my, my first, my sort of beginning group. I use a lot of the developing coordination skills um, bits, but I find that there's uh, they hit a wall pretty quickly with what yeah. they can actually accomplish. And so having run into Mike Joy's etude stuff, he has a, a group of uh, unison ringing exercises that give them more practice and repetition on some of those. Uh, so I'm going to try and fix the problems I create by trying to go too deep into coordination skill development uh, by giving them more time to practice and, and also including a little bit more without them knowing it, including a little bit more theory. You know, I'm not going to say now children, we're about to have a theory lesson, but um, there's lots and lots of ways. And I'm finding from, I had this really interesting experience in San Francisco after national seminar this summer, where I went and did a workshop with Bobby McFerrin called circle song school. And so much of what I think we want our kids to understand cognitively, their bodies already know. Their bodies know about rhythm. They, they are music machines. And our job is to try and figure out how do we get it out of them in a cognitive way so that they can relate to this reading concept and become more productive in the, in the context of being reading musicians. You know, that is going to be one of my main goals is are they musically literate by the end of the year? They don't have to be blowing the doors off, but they certainly have to have an understanding of how, can, how independent can they be? And we do, given numbers and how things work sometimes, I often will have extra ringers uh, in the class. I don't, I stopped worrying about like, no, you can only have 15 or, you know, I, they want to send me 20 or 25 kids. Fine. I'll stack them up. I'll put them side by side. And when I pair a kid, a reader with a, a newer kid who's not quite as sure of himself, that has, has never failed. There's always a, a wonderful relationship that comes between the kid who has a skill set and, and the kid who needs it shared with him. And so that, that pairing is just, it's been such a rich way to teach because I don't have to be responsible for every moment because they begin to teach each other. Uh, and it works as a terrific review for them to say, oh, I know this, I know this, I know what to do, I know how to do that. My biggest problem is I need to get better at giving them the time to acquire it and not rush them. They don't need to be 
rushing all the time to performance, even though the demands are there. The, the training group, I try to reduce that pressure on them so that they don't feel like there's a potential that they could fail before they ever get themselves together. Yeah, I love using peers, the peer pairs sort of to help some of the new to ringing students as well. One of the first changes I made to the program when I took it over at the Landon School was the previous field director at Landon had the classes capped all at 15. So we had no more than 15 in each class. And there was a sixth grade class, there was a seventh grade class, there was an eighth grade class. And then there was also a separate new to Bell's seventh and eighth grade class of students who didn't Mm. start in sixth grade. And the first thing I did was get rid of that and combine them all together because I found that when you did take a student who was brand new to ringing, but paired them up with somebody who had been ringing for a few years, they caught up to that level really fast. Mm -hmm. Whereas when all of the new to handbells kids were in a separate ensemble, that took longer to bring that ensemble as a whole up to the level, which at some point when they got to upper school, they were all going to get dumped into the same ringing class anyway. So the working and having the larger ensembles where I could double up just the same way as you would with band, where you've got multiple second trumpets or whatever that you have somebody who's sharing your part and can give you some tips. One of the things uh, I've started doing the last, well, it was just I'll say post-COVID, but it really was during COVID because I, we couldn't play wind instruments from, you know, the beginning of the school year until I think it was March of 2020. So we really did so much handbells. Well, what I did during that school year was I started, obviously we were teaching handbells and I thought, how am I going to connect this to their, to their wind instruments when they start playing? So I really started reverse engineering some of the music and I would create these band arrangements from the handbell literature. So I would I called quite a few publishers and say, hey, may I have permission to arrange this handbell piece for concert band? And so they were able to easily transfer quickly to their wind instruments since we were so delayed. And I've just kept kept on going with that. And so I'll, I'll contact a publisher and say, hey, can I create a concert band arrangement that is with this handbell piece? And so we we now perform so much of it combined. And so the curriculum just moves right along with everyone, no matter what instrument shifting from a wind instrument to a percussion instrument to handbells, it all sort of moves collectively together, which brings me up. I wanted to mention one quick point new to our program this year. I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity to play Indonesian Anklung, A-N-G-K-L-U-N-G. It's a bamboo instrument and these bamboo tubes, somewhat you think about the boomwhacker concept, but they're strung up with rattan and there might be two or four, two to four tubes per instrument, and you shake them, yeah. and they're they're really finely tuned bamboo instrument, and they're played very similar to handbells. And so we're we're incorporating this new instrument that we got into everything we're doing uh, to sort of reach a world music element to what we're doing in music. So yeah, Anklung is something we're adding this year. That's cool. I got to write that down. I love your idea about the reverse engineering. That's pretty brilliant because they're they're just going to walk in with so much more prep. This eighth grade group is that group that didn't get to start their wind instruments until March, but they can read rhythms. I mean, it's incredible how, and so we've just kept up with it so well in that same format. We always start right away with handbells, no matter what. Are you going to try to get any of those uh, band pieces published? Uh, if, if they want to, I haven't thought too deeply, but uh, I'll talk to, I kind of have two or three of the handbell publishers. I don't know if they have connections to the concert band world that we right. can work out or I don't know. We'll figure it out. I think Jason Krug has something out there. So Jason Krug has a string arrangement of Dorian Dance. That's what I'm thinking of. Yep. Mm, uh, same key works with the handbell part. So we actually did, it was over COVID. We did a virtual 
ensemble of our band strings, because I had also written out a, a concert band version of Dorian Dance as well. And so all did a combined virtual ensemble during COVID of Dorian Dance. Nice. Years ago, when I got my first set of handbells here, I wanted to really incorporate it into the percussion ensemble that we use, and that it really is just one more voice of our percussion ensemble. And so when I went to the Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic, this has been seven, eight, nine years now, I went to Roloff Productions, which they do some great percussion ensemble, comp original compositions, arrangements, a great group of guys that they sell some great music. And I walked up to the guys at the exhibit booth and I said, hey, I do a lot with handbells. What are the chances that I could have permission to add handbells to one or two of your percussion pieces? And the guy said, add whatever you want. We love it. As long as it sells music, <laughs> <You know? laughs> add as much as you want, send it when you can. And so I, since then, I, I'll buy their compositions and arrangements and add a handbell choir, add a handbell part to it. And it's just a, it's always having that voice in what we do at our school makes handbells. Uh, it's a necessity at our school for all of our students to hear, to be a part of. They just love it. So being so involved with with your groups for so long, you have to have definitely some references or, or resources you've used consistently. Anything you're willing to share would be great. Felt like I should mention just some of the great new resources out there for music educators. And one of them I wanted to highlight was Nancy Jessup's book, you know, Building a Successful Handbell and Handchime Program. Such a great uh, resource and book for educators. And what HMA is doing with the website, we're just trying to compile so many things we can put on that website that teachers can just grab and get a handle. We're working on repertoire lists and things like that. I hoped one day to have on that HMA website just a place that anybody can show up and just be able to teach handbells in their schools. For anybody listening to this podcast, I'm relatively certain that they would agree that we have the most generous colleagues across this nation and across the handbell world in terms of what's worked for them. Hey, let me share that with you. Let me give you what I have. Let me tell you what I know. It's a remarkable medium. And I can't say enough about the people in it. The, the handbell excitement really comes from the people. It comes from the fact that the medium, while bells are ancient, the medium itself is growing up before our eyes. We are watching it grow into something really extraordinary. And the potential for it in communities of all kinds really is going to be rooted in the way we get it into communities such as schools. If we can build handbell communities within schools and public schools and private schools, it doesn't matter what kind of school, then you're looking at the map of creating places for people to make these connections as a lifetime connection. And I really think that much of that comes from these extraordinarily, extraordinarily talented people who are also extraordinarily generous. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, so many of the state music education associations are doing their best to bring to light other forms of music other than the big three of band, choir, and orchestra, mm -hmm. and really, really bringing to the forefront, they're using the terms alternative ensembles. And, you know, so for so many years, those alternative ensembles have been somewhat marginalized in that, you know, yes, we know they exist. That'd be great, you know, uh, but really trying to push uh, different states to bring those ensembles into the forefront of all states, uh, conventions, concerts, and music education resources. 
And I hope that uh, all of those that have handbell groups in schools will contact their state organizations and say, hey, we need a an all-state handbell ensemble like Indiana has and like a couple of other states are mm-hmm. uh, starting to create right now. Because that is, like you said, that form of community and that community building across an entire state. That's how these kids yes. can connect. And the band orchestra choir is, you know, it should never go away. It's a wonderful thing. But for those students that play handbells and don't necessarily have a connection to other people in other schools around their state or area and organization, I think that's, it's key. I want to jump into that really quickly. The handbell education website that we link to, I know there's a section that actually has a map of where known handbells exist in schools here in the States. So folks out there, whether it's you personally, or if you know a school in your area that has a handbell or hand chime program, it'd be great to for this website to have that data so that this map can be updated. So if you are aware of one, whether that again, that you lead or know of, if you could send an email to gashers at handbellmusicians.org, that's G-A-S-H-U-R-S-T at handbellmusicians.org then Greg can take that data at that location, the school name, and add it to the map. And not only just to, you know, show folks where bell choirs are and everything, but, you know, if you have a, a school right near you with a bell or chime choir and they have a concert coming up, go check them out. Go support them. Um, uh-huh. Have it be beyond just the, the school community, be the, the actual town community so you can just show your support and, and show those kids like, yeah, this is great. We love it, what you're doing. Yeah. I have a Google alert for every time the word handbell is mentioned in news. And it's amazing. Every day I get some great <laughs> alerts about community groups, about school groups, church groups. And so cool. I, I try to add that to my list of groups that exist in America or the world, but it's mostly uh, U.S. groups that the alerts come from. It's really neat uh, seeing that, reading those every morning. I had a terrific conversation at National Seminar with Liz and Jillian about trying to get a, a young person's handbell festival regional started here in the New York or the New Jersey, Pennsylvania area and was surprised as we started to rattle off, you know, so-and-so has bells and so-and-so. Did you know that so-and-so? No, I didn't know about that. Like even in the conversation with three people who work within probably 60 miles of each other, we were hitting on things that each of us didn't know about that uh, would be really fruitful to chase and, and look into and bring into the fold with a festival like this to say, Hey, bring what you got, play what you've got. We'll, Bring, you know, we'll, we'll share some of the conducting duties or whatever we want to do with it, but creating a, an umbrella and, and catching some of those groups that may not have something in particular to work toward. Yeah. Um, because in, in particular with the school groups, I know that there's one here in Bethlehem at, at, uh, at Freedom High School that uh, is a four octave group. I've known they've had bells for a while, but I don't, beyond playing at the Christmas concert every year, I don't know that they are really... Um, you know, really going after making that its own standalone program. Yeah, I would love to see more Young Ringers events. When I was, I guess, in young adult college age and a little older, there there seemed like every area uh, had a Young Ringers festival and a Young Ringers event. Yeah, Nick and I have talked about the Wish Festival that happens here in the D.C. area. That was uh, Mm -hmm. the topic for episode two. And unfortunately, at this point, several of the schools that used to attend that, their handbell programs took a hiatus during the pandemic and are some have come back in smaller forms, but some haven't come back at all. Mm -hmm. And so I know Nick and I have talked about what to try to do to expand so 
that festival opportunity still exists for the ensembles that are still there. But also that's one of the highlights, I think, of our ringing year is getting to ring with students in other handball programs from other schools and seeing what other students are doing. And so if you uh, and Jillian and Liz get together and get a youth festival going, Landon and Potomac are within driving distance that's of that. True. So yeah. we, yes, we, we would definitely consider coming up to that. Oh, that's cool. It's funny because my, my classroom was a, a converted weight room. And so it's right next to a gymnasium that is, I wouldn't say disused, but it's only used during basketball season. It's right out outside my room and it'd be a perfect spot to do some hosting. So I'm starting to already think about how might I bring these disparate organizations together and just make a destination out of it. Yeah. Got to build that future. I think a uh, part of the future as well is getting the handbells into and I think it was in Corbin's uh, podcast, the podcast mm -hmm. with Corbin that uh, talking about getting it into universities, mm -hmm. because yes. that's where the, the music educators have the fresh ideas of how they can use it. But also it's it's uh, as an ensemble in a university, that's where they can get addicted to the activity, you know? Yes. Yeah, we've had a good trend here with Corbin, Christian and you guys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been a good run lately. Yeah, I find with the. The trick for, for any collegiate context is that they're requiring a certain amount of ensemble work for their majors, for music ed majors or any of their majors. And uh, so many of them I mean, they predominantly come there with choral experience and band experience and with a th trailing uh, close third with string experience. And then about every, you know, every year I get two kids who played handbells before out of the 400 that respond to the music survey from the music department. And so it does need a little help from an administrator to say, you know what, music educator, you know, whoever's in charge of music education programs, um, this is another useful tool. And it's better to put it in the toolbox of your young music educators than to ignore it because yeah. there may be a context. You know, we got to see that with uh, the concerts in Texas this year, that there are many contexts where handbells are serving all sorts of communities from special needs communities to, you know, programs with their own charters and their own thrust and focus. We have to remind ourselves not to limit what future music educators might be able to make out of this great instrument and ensemble. Yes. And I, I'm glad you said that because I think the shape of music education and what music education looks like will change. It's not that the, the band programs and the choral programs and the orchestra programs will get any smaller. I just think that some schools will have to evolve to the needs of the institution. And it may not be the enormous band programs or the orchestra programs or choral programs. And so this might be a great opportunity to engage more and more students in the act, uh, in music making, in musicking, if you want to make that a Yes. <laughs> yes, I love that. Friend of mine, uh, who's a band director in, at a university in California, uh, Cal State, he he was talking about they're redesigning the curriculum, the university curriculum, to sort of meet these students that show up and they haven't been in band, orchestra, choir for their entire life. You know, you think about any other major, you could you could show up and major in chemistry and not having had. 12 years of chemistry from, you know, or mm -hmm. six years of chemistry from fifth grade on. Mm -hmm. So you can almost show up and not know everything, you know, not know a lot about that subject or political science or something. But with music, if you haven't done it in middle school and high school, your chances of 
getting accepted and majoring in music aren't, aren't especially high. And so they talked about recreating the opportunities for someone to major in music in diverse ways, whether it be through uh, creating music digitally and, you know, just different ways to. And I think, I think handbells is, is one of those ways, Rob, you talked about the, you know, the students show up to handbell players. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a unique instrument that affords the opportunity to learn music in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know I've mentioned it on other podcasts as far as, any other instrumental music, handbells have one of the lowest barrier of entry. If you've never played music before, never read music before, never played an instrument before, you don't have to immediately jump in and know all of the notes on the staff. Um, you don't immediately mm-hmm. have to jump in and know how to set an embouchure and, and worry about tuning and mm-hmm. intonation. You can just, you can jump in and you can make music on day one, uh, just knowing your left from your right and, and a few counts. And so I think that is for students who have not had a whole lifetime of music, but want to get involved in music, this instrument is a great one to do that. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Well, this has been great. It's been, it, I mean, we as fellow educators, it's just to have these, these conversations and share some ideas and, and hear what others are doing. And hopefully through this medium of the podcast, connect with others in similar situations can just, you know, take these, build some ideas of their own and hopefully even build their own programs from scratch. Why not? Yes. Right. They have the resources. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Best of luck on your school years. Uh, Rob, if you have a link to that coffeehouse performance that is yeah. publicly available, definitely share that with us when that comes up. We will likely try to share that on, on our website or on our social media because that sounds it's like a, a lot of fun. I think it's a hoot. We'll see. I don't even know what we're doing this year. So if you have any ideas, you know. Well, I think yeah, Brian and I have a few listening. for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, take care, everybody. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm thrilled to be a part of this. It's yeah, been wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been You're fun. Welcome. I look forward to doing it again soon. Definitely. All right. Thank you both so much. Take care, gents. Be well. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. As a reminder, you can reach out to us at twotacoshigh at gmail.com. You can find us as Two Tacos High on Facebook, Instagram, and X. You can also find us at twotacoshigh.com. Greg mentioned that the Handbell Musicians of America website is a great resource for finding out about handbells in education. The Hambo Musicians of America have a newly designed website that just released recently. We will link to that from our website as well. If you go to the episodes tab and then find the link right under this week's episode. And if you haven't yet, check out those other links from our previous episodes. For example, the uh, tier list from our awesome Handbell Hangout is up with everything in all those ranks. From our episode that rehashed and kind of reflected on the national seminar, we have the program booklet from the seminar, as well as a link to the Handbell Musicians of America YouTube page. So you can still check out some of the performances from that event. And then, of course, some background on Corbin Rasmussen from our interview with him. And... Our most previous episode with Dr. Giebert, Dr. Christian Giebert, we have his entire dissertation linked there. So please do check all those out to dive a bit more deeply on the topics of each of those episodes. Thanks again for checking out the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So definitely share that out with others. If they maybe aren't listening in yet, just send them the link. We want to give our thank yous to those who helped put this all together. Julian Perdos for our logo. Mike Joy for being the arranger of Giovanna Yovanke, the intro-outro music, and Genevieve G.B. Hansen, who does everything else. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Two Tacos High, a handbell podcast. I'm Brian Seaman. I'm Nick Hansen. See you next time.